Happy New Year, smooches! Today, we're talking all things Austin with author Melody Edwards, who has written a beautiful contemporary reimagining of Persuasion. It's got Star's Hollow vibes with its setting of Niagara on the Lake and riotous cast of characters, a hyper-competent Anne, and a swoon-worthy Wentworth. You can pre-order the book, which comes out in February, and you will absolutely want to after listening to this episode. Hi, Meg. Hi, Liz. What was the last book you read that had you blushing, giggling, kicking your little feet in the air? My little baby feet. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I'm going to say my first book of the year, mm-hmm. which was our dear Melody Edwards book, Once Persuaded, Twice Shy. Same. And she's here so we can tell her all about it. Uh, hi, Melody. Hi, ladies. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your book with us. We both really loved it. And we have many questions to ask you about it. Fire away. Meg, you want to get it going? I I don't have as much experience with persuasion as I do with some other Austin. And I really loved your dear reader note at the beginning of the book where you talk about like how you kind of reconceptualize Anne in a modern setting and I was wondering if you could just like talk to us a little bit more about that because when my first introduction which I now understand to be unfortunate was the Netflix adaptation (laughs) uh, with Dakota Johnson Um, and I I don't know I just didn't love Anne a ton in that and I loved her so much in this book oh the persuasion Netflix version is just, you know, I thought it might come up on this podcast, so I, I actually just watched part of it for the first time this week. Oh, so yeah. I to be able to talk about it. And yes, that not not the best first introduction. There were many things they did wonderfully in that movie and many things that, unfortunately, I think were a big fail. Mm-hmm. And the main thing is, I think, the character of Anne. I read a review that said it was like they'd taken the character from Fleabag and put it in Persuasion. And I'm like, Yes. That is what they tried to do, which is not the character of Anne. Yeah, um, it didn't really fundamentally but, make sense. <laughs> yes, because if, if you're that lively and striking, I mean, how would you end up being a wallflower for eight right, years? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's some logic problems there. Yeah, I think this is the difficulty for a lot of Austin adaptations, whether they're trying to be true to the novel or bring it into modern times like I did. Um, there's always this idea of how do we make it relevant for modern viewers or modern readers? And I always think, well, you know, Austin's been popular for X hundred number of years. I'm not mm-hmm. sure it needs the help. Mm-hmm. I think it does just fine on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I tried to do, the reason I particularly love some of these Austin novels is the psychology of the heroines is so real. Each mm-hmm. of her heroines are so different. They're so real. They're so nuanced. They are people you could meet in the office. It's a girlfriend from high school. Like you could know these people. And so when I tried to do, this is my second modern adaptation, is I try to look at that complete psychology of the heroine and whatever else they may bring forward or leave behind, the heroine has to be intact because she is the center of the novel. Right. And so what I try to do from there is say, okay, and again, they're so, they're so rich. I feel like I could do multiple versions of Anne in multiple books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I looked at Anne. I'm like, what's her underlying thing? We know in the book she's oppressed. We know she's a wallflower. We know she's trampled on and she's very restrained. And 
you know, a lot of that is the manners of the time, of course, mm-hmm. your etiquette, when you can speak up and when you can't. But when you get Anne's internal monologue in the books, she herself is very, she's very wise. You know, she's at 27, she's Austin's oldest heroine. So she's got some wisdom <laughs> under her belt. And um, she's very restrained. She, I think she does justice to the characters around her, the good ones and the bad ones, as well as to herself. She's very nuanced in her depiction of how the relationship broke down. So I'm like, right. So I want to take all of that and move it forward. And then what is it that can kind of keep her locked in place and restrained and those sorts of things. So I'm like, I'm going to play up the trauma of her mother dying. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play up the oppression of her family. And not just because she's an unmarried woman of Austin's Regency era that she has to stay with her family. Her family is irresponsible. They need her. And then the other great element of Anne I loved is that she's quietly so, so competent in the book. And everybody mm-hmm. overlooks it. It is madly, madly overlooked. Um, and I, I think, yeah, yeah, my dear readers, letters, why I tried to put it out. When I was writing the book, I'm like, I think people, I was worried people were going to read this Anne and say, well, she's too bold. She's too on it. She's too, et cetera, et cetera. And so I put that letter in to say, these are the elements of Anne. In the original book, for those who don't, haven't read the dear reader yet, reader letter yet, the book's not out yet. Um, in the original book, when you've got to leave the household and the estate, Anne's the one closing down the estate. Anne's the one visiting the tenants. Anne's the one who has to go take care of her sick sister. When her nephew breaks his collarbone, she's got to take care of her nephew, call the doctor, calm the room down. You know, when they have that massive accident out in line, she's like, right, triage, port her head, call the doctor, where's the closest location? You know, how are we going to get to her parents? She she does all of that. And because she's poor overlooked Anne, nobody sees that she's really incredible. You know, another version of Anne Elliot would be emergency room nurse. Mm-hmm. In my head. So yeah. what I tried to do is take all that competency and say, right, if you're not repressed by Regency era etiquette, then you're probably really great at your career. And so I gave okay. her this big career and that's how I tried to move her forward. And so as opposed to the 2002 persuasion, um, which I don't want to hate on too much because I always want them to come out with new Austin adaptations if they're mm-hmm. more mess. But I mean, they have that and drinking wine, blurting things out of her mouth, you know, being sassy and like, that's not Anne. That's maybe more like an Elizabeth Ben. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is, again, a whole different character, but it doesn't work in Anne's story. And it's not why we love Anne. And it's not why Wentworth loves Anne. Mm-hmm. He really does love her confidence in the end, which is really mm-hmm. nice. So that's how I tried to do it. I try to look at what are the main personality points and psychology points of this character. And then how can I lift them and keep them in a modern era when you can just text anything you want mm-hmm. I, I think, think it worked out so amazingly yeah because she oh, truly makes makes sense in a way that like I said my previous exposure was that movie where you're right the the character feels more like a Lizzie Bennett and with that approach a sort of a second chance kind of romance doesn't make as much sense but with these two, I was like, normally I get a little bit sad with second chance romances. And I was not sad at all with this. It was like perfect and uplifting. They both had like growth to do and they had to do it. And I, so I guess I kind of wanted to know your thoughts about second chance romance in general. Also, I was sad, but I loved it. <laughs> I, I love the sadness. <laughs> Yeah, we gotta have the angst in there, man. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta feel the pining, right? The longing. 
I felt the longing. Oh, I felt the longing. Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like second chance women. I mean, it's not something I read a lot of. I love, love persuasion. This is my favorite costume. And I kind of like it because it's different. When you read the other Austin books, like the heroines all kind of screw up big, right? Emma's a bit of a brat. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth's taken in by the flattery of Wickham and overlooks awkward Darcy. Like everyone's got some big character growth and learning to do. And what's interesting about persuasion is we're dropped eight years after the breakup and they've already done their learning or Anne has anyways, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like if Mr. Darcy didn't come back with that second proposal in Pride and Prejudice, where would we be? And I feel like she kind of explored that here. So Anne's done her growing up. And even though it's, you know, lost love and stuff, you never really get the full affirmation that she made a huge mistake. Mm -hmm. She's upset that she was persuaded. But when she reflects on it, the reasons that she was persuaded were good reasons. Right. And not just for herself. There's a part in the book where she says, you know, could he have gone off and done this career if he had a life to worry about and support and was, you know, concerned for his own physical safety to come back to his wife? And could he have been as bold a captain as he was to be so successful? So you have all this understanding of like the relationship was good, but the relationship did not work at that time in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think most modern readers get that. You need someone at 19. It's, it's oh, you both got growing up to do. It's not going to click or he's <laughs> taking a job here yeah. and he's going backpacking there and et cetera, et cetera. So it's kind of nice when you come back and you've got all the excitement of first love, the first mm-hmm. love that really, you know, made your heart go pitter pat. And then you've got the wisdom of some maturity and you can say, okay, I already have a blueprint for everything that went wrong in this relationship. Mm -hmm. And now that I have the benefit of hindsight, and now that I'm older and wiser, I can fix some of these things. And growing up fixes some of these things. And I think that's nice because when we read these romances, we want the happily ever after, right? We want to have a feeling that this is a perfect match. The personalities work. This is a solid relationship. When you close the last page, you know it's going to go forward and be great. And when you get a second chance romance, you're like, yes, because they already screwed up the first time. And this <laughs> time they've got this. They've got this thing unlocked, right? And yeah. so that's nice. And a lot of persuasion is kind of watching Wentworth come to some of those same realizations. I mean, when I was in uh, my undergrad, I did English lit for my undergrad. And I had to write an essay on persuasion on why she was right to turn him down. Mm. And that was a really hard exercise at 20. Oh, I bet. <laughs> And now in my mid-30s, I'm like, no, this is solid. So, and then they, <laughs> this you was good decision-making. Like, so good decision-making, and <laughs> Solid decision-making. Because, you know, this the clues are subtle in the beginning, but they say, you know, he made money, but he spent money just as quickly. There's that little note is a bit of a spendthrift. There's that mm-hmm. little note that he's maybe a little overconfident, which you can forgive him for, because he's dashing on the evil captain. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the end of the novel, and they're the original novel, and they're together, and they're all happy, and they're reflecting back, they're like, well, maybe that wasn't a bad thing because Anne learned to, you know, have more faith in her own judgment and went with calm down and made his fortune and also worked twice as hard probably because he's had the rejection. And there's this nice moment where Wentworth says to Anne, you know, two years after you'd broken off her engagement, when I'd made some money and I'd been promoted and you were a little older, if I'd come back after two years, would you have taken me? And she's like, oh, of course. Yes, I would have taken you then. And he's like, Right. So the eight years, the additional six years are my fault. It's like, yes, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. So you also have this nice thing of, oh, no, we could have we could have put it back together earlier. And it's not tragic because they do put it back together. It's, it's all this wonderful learning. It makes you feel so 
secure in the relationship on the last piece, which I think is very mm-hmm. nice second chance romance. And because most people have the one that got away, and this is mm-hmm. a nice little wish fulfillment of it coming back and it all working out. Yeah. Yeah. I loved your version of that sort of conversation where he's like, um, so if I had just said, Hey, do you want to try again? <laughs> like on day <laughs> one, you would have said yeah. And she's like, Hell yeah, I would have said yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that one of the things that I loved about your book and about the original persuasion is that Anne had to lose part of herself. She lost all these things that made her Anne as she grew up away from Wentworth. And then she found them again, but she didn't lose everything that she has become over the eight years. It's just like this past and present version of herself are meeting and she's taking the best aspects of both, but realizing I don't need to diminish myself anymore. I don't need to have this fuck ass Bob just because I have a professional (laughs) job. I don't have to lock my heart away. I don't have to forever chase after my dummy of a father and apologize all over town for his behavior. Which, mm-hmm. oh gosh, like the the cringe that I felt in those scenes, well done. I, I felt I felt for her so hard. The accumulated traffic tickets and the towing because of her sister I was like, I want to light her on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I would have thrown hands. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I I love your phrase. That she's she's taken the best of the past and present and put it together. And I I think that's really well. I wish I had that phrase when I was writing the book. That's perfectly what I was trying to do. And you well, you did people. it. Oh, thank you. Because um, I think I think for a lot of us, we we do sort of wander a bit in adult life or in our teenage years. And you, you start out with very strong feelings in your teenage years, and then. Mm-hmm you get this job or that rent and you know you're you're learning to adult and Mm -hmm. it takes some effort and sometimes you lose pieces but you pick up pieces along the way just because you've wandered with something for a certain number of years doesn't mean it's it's all garbage like um Mm -hmm. you know I I studied English literature and then I went into a communications profession and it was great because it was a lot of writing and I went full-on corporate you know what it was a really good time and I learned a lot of things and I did it for about a decade and then I suddenly went Hey, remember when I used to write creatively? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's how my first book came out, but I put some of my corporate content into my first book because I'd gone and learned about that world, right? Mm-hmm. You, you do take all these little elements of the journey and you twist them together and ends at that age when you can say, right, what's working for me? What's not? What are my strengths? Where am I misapplying my strengths? Maybe because then Anne's crazy competent, but maybe it's not best served taking care of her father and paying off those parking tickets. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that cringe factor worked for you both because it was really, again, one of the things I was concerned about was like the, the behavior of her family in the original novel is so horrendous. But mm-hmm. again, restraints of Regency era, she knows she's going to put up with it. But what's to stop a modern woman from saying, you know, this is a dumpster fire and I am walking mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make the, the kind of the encroachments on her time and her energies subtle at first and the kind that you could see would snowball over time without you noticing. So I'll just Right. I'll just pay this parking ticket. I'll just loan my card this one time. Mm-hmm. And then X number of years later going, wait a minute, how did I get in this situation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. She thinks that she's not putting up with so much from them because she doesn't stop to make them breakfast just because they put eggs on the table. But 
There are all these Ooh. other things that she does put up with. Precisely. Exactly. That's what I was, yeah, that's what I was trying to work to do. That she she thinks she's drawing boundaries and she's not the boundaries mm-hmm. of eroding over the years. So I before I forget, I wanted to ask oh. you the scene with the first oh. city council meeting, um, where oh. went where where Ben takes the phone away from that guy who started playing a protest song. Was that your direct reference to that one scene in Persuasion when Anne has that kid who's like all over her and he just picks her up, picks him up and moves him off of her without saying anything? Yes, 100%. And okay. I'm so glad that worked out. I feel like you just got an Easter egg I didn't know if I would get. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I caught that immediately and I was like, ooh, she's really clever how she did that. Like there were so, and I, I read Persuasion for the first time ever in the fall. So I'm sure that if, and I've never seen a movie adaptation. I was going to before this, I ran out of time. But um, I I want to read it again to see what else I might pick up mm-hmm. from your book. Because I know that there, I know there were other little Easter eggs in there. But I, I, I want to go back and find them. But speaking of Easter eggs, you make some direct references to Jane Austen in this book so can you walk us through your thinking like is this an alternate universe where jane austen exists but she didn't write persuasion or does does our ann elliot doesn't put two and two together that she is ann elliot <laughs> i'm gonna embarrass myself and you're gonna have to remind me where did i put the austen reference in? you had a couple of them and it's kind of like okay. not to I don't think it was to specific Austin books. It was more to like the vibe of Jane Austen, the tropes of Jane Austen. Okay, great. Um sorry, because this is what's happening. I'm I'm writing my third book and so I'm I'm mm-hmm. forgetting my second book as I go. Um <laughs> yeah, I well, I just feel I'm I mean, I'm doing these modern adaptations. And you know, my editor was the one who came up with the idea, I think we call them reimaginings instead of mm-hmm. retellings because I'm not quite going deep for deep mm-hmm. um and I it, when I first sent my first book to my agent my first book was based on Jane Eyre and I'd sent this query off to an agent and my agent who I now signed with who is wonderful Melissa Edwards at Stone Song no relation we just have similar names um is she when she's talking to me she goes now this book is Jane Eyre right because I was like halfway through the book and I went wait a minute and then I had to go back to your pitch letter so I like the idea that maybe it's loose enough that if you haven't read the original, mm-hmm. um, it'll take a while to connect. But at the same time, I, I am ripping off the characters here. I am mm-hmm. ripping them off. I am lovingly moving these characters. Yeah. Into You're and, but full I, I reverence to that. <laughs> full reverence. Jane Austen is a goddess. So um, what I just always want to do is I just, I, I just like that break the fourth wall for a moment, you know, the mm-hmm. wink to the audience to say, this is, of course, Austin. We love Austin. We would not have all these female characters together in modern day. We're probably not discussing Austin at some point. Um, so I, I lose out that little that little link where she knows she is in persuasion, um, but that they they love Austin. So they just have this massive blind spot to know that they're in persuasion, but they do love the Austin canon. Um, I think in my first book, I did have them talk about uh, the Bronte sisters and then someone saying oh Jane Eyre's too too goth or whatever and the heroine's like I feel like I'm living Jane Eyre so <laughs> you know, maybe back down on that opinion um so I made this one a little less obvious but I just think that's fun to do yeah yeah there I think there's only one reference in the novel like itself and it's <laughs> it's like part of Anne's 
internal monologue she's like this is not freaking Jane Austen where you have to socialize with the same group of people no matter how awkward this is modern times yes yeah fucking opt out that's where it was you're yeah. right okay I remember writing that now yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean I love the forced proximity trope but there's a logical part of me that always says just get up and leave the situation mm-hmm. like you don't have to hang out with your ex when it's awkward and in Jane Austen's time, we do because we trap by the social etiquette. So I just, you know, at one point I'm like, am I pushing the the lines of disbelief here that she would not get herself out of the situation? So I have, I wrote that internal monologue and she's like, what am I doing? But I think we've all had those situations where we're walking into a party or a date or a job interview and we're like, what am I doing? And then you go and do that. Like, and yet you're <laughs> still walking forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. <laughs> and I think it really works in the setting of this sort of small town that they're in too, where it's like everyone seems to know everyone. And she has a lot of different roles that she plays in this town. It, it's called Niagara on the Lake. Is that what Niagara on the Lake? And they do a real place. <laughs> yeah. So I think it really, it, it makes sense, even if it isn't how all of us would operate um but speaking of this town Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't want to make any assumptions about how you feel about a particular show but i was sort of reminded of and so was i stars hollow from gilmore girls and i wanted to know if at all that was on your mind love it love gilmore girls we so i'm i'm one of three sisters we had gilmore girls parties when i was a teenager um the episode where luke and lorelei kiss all our friends came over we had a big cake we all felt i love it. that yeah i i admit i tuned out for the later seasons those early seasons the town the characters mm-hmm. the writing it was so sharp it was so great and the individualized i mean i know small town quirky characters is a trope we love through a lot of novels but i do feel gilmore girls really kind of nailed it um mm-hmm. and of course we love the autumn fashions and the autumn scenes oh, yeah. and all, mm-hmm. the, all the autumn colors of the gilmore you know mm-hmm. so i wanted to capture some of that because that was a real romance nostalgia for me mm-hmm. and something yeah. i love and also again i was looking for that thing of where can I trap all these characters together that they can't get away? And the number of times Lorelai runs into ex-boyfriends or Rory runs into ex-boyfriends and Luke just sitting there pining like, you know, get up and move, man. Go find another town. But he doesn't. He yeah. stars hollow. So I wanted to capture yeah. a little bit of that too. Yeah, it's an interesting balance with a small town. Like what you did reminded me so much of stars hollow because it's screwball, but it's not so broad. Mm-hmm. Although there was one character who was a little bit over the top. So what is Double O Goose's deal? What is up with that goose? I knew you were going to bring up the goose. <laughs> bring up the goose. Everyone loves the goose. Um, what is I his damage? Oh, his damage. I know. So in the pandemic, I moved to a harbor on Lake Ontario. It's a little community. We're just outside Toronto and we're right on the harbor. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. I can hear the waves at night. It's so scenic. I'm right by the lake. And then you learn about what living next to the lake is like, mm-hmm. including the size of the bugs and the damn oh. Canadian geese, <laughs> who are not afraid of anything. I mean, we love them. We put them on our money. They're the symbol of Canada along with the beaver. They're very majestic in flight part of our changing seasons they fly in a v formation when they're doing the migration but when you live in the harbor where they live 
It is so annoying. They squawk all night long. They piss at people's dogs. They will charge at you. And the green poop. The poop. Yeah, we have a lot of the green poop in our neighborhood. (laughs) Okay, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, (laughs) they were just really annoying outside my window. I decided to put them in the book. I did want to make one thing broad broad comedy because... Mm -hmm. I feel like most small towns have an animal problem, have a particular animal problem. There's this raccoon that won't go away, or there's this, you know, beaver that keeps digging holes in people's sailing boats. There's always that animal problem when you're half in the nature. Um, but I also wanted just sort of kind of like a bowling ball I could send through a scene, knock mm-hmm. down all the pins and set it up again. Um, just to keep things moving, but also because I had this whole concern. I mean, in the original persuasion. It is an entire romance novel with people who are not making eye contact and not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And for modern romance readers who are kind of used to sex scenes by chapter five, or at least, mm-hmm. you know, you know, compromising physical positions because the escalator broke down or something like that. I'm like, how am I going to keep people's interest, my own interest, if they won't talk to each other and they won't make eye contact? That's not modern. Um, when you've got text messages at your fingers and stuff and social media stalking, like, how would you, how would you have this isolation? And so I thought, what I'm going to have is a lot of broad physical comedy because it's going to keep them apart. It's going to keep distractions or it can keep forcing them together. That's my, my analogy, like the, the bowling ball to go through to make the pins do mm-hmm. what I want. Mm-hmm. And so Double O Goose, the wild Canadian geese, was that bowling ball that I could just send through the scenes when I wanted to. So he was, he was really an incredibly useful structuring device for me. <laughs> I just tried to make him funny and not wholly unbelievable but if you've ever lived near Canadian geese mm-hmm. it's not unbelievable that is what they do <laughs> I'm like genuinely kind of afraid of geese because of like the hissing and the charging <laughs> you should be you should definitely be afraid of geese <laughs> they they mean business <clears throat> excuse me so hang on I had a few questions that we already covered so I'm trying to skip them um so you had another framing device in this, which was the Taylor Swift breakup playlist that, um, is it Vidya? Mm-hmm. Vidya. Vidya. That Vidya oh. makes for Anne. So what do you think Jane Austen's favorite Taylor Swift album would be? Ooh. Oh, oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> I don't know how to answer it. What, what um, would her era be? So much new music. She comes up with so much new music all the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Even as I was writing the book, new music was coming out. It was driving me bonkers. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea this would be her time person of the year and eras tour. Like, that's, mm-hmm. you know, books are done so far in advance in the publishing journey. Right. Mm-hmm. So they worked out quite fortuitously. What was her favorite? Mm-hmm. Evermore, I think. I think Maybe. so, too. That Why? would be my answer. Why do you both think that? It's a nice combination of some of her other styles. I feel like I get her story songs, which are kind of her original album was country music and you're getting a full, like that that that, that country style of I'm going to tell you a story and start to finish opening mm-hmm. verses and chorus. Yeah, like, like a narrative. Evermore. Yeah, it's very, very poetic. Mm-hmm. And I just feel some of her more mature work. Like if I want to get yeah. up and dance, I'm probably going for reputation. And I love her angry ballads when she's like at her most angry. She comes up with some killer phrases. Mm-hmm. But Evermore, I think, encompasses a wider range of experiences for a woman. Mm-hmm. And 
it has a variety of styles, a variety of perspectives, and not just all from her perspective. There's characters and stuff in there. She's really telling, like, so she's, it's like a series of novels in that mm-hmm. album. So I think she knocks them like that. Yeah. It's got this level of restraint that to me feels like Regency era, mm. where things are kind of more subtle and there's a lot there there is a lot in evermore i think that people think of folklore as the story album that has characters and drama which jane austen would have loved that but i think that evermore is more emotional about Mm. it more like this is like what you said in the book like adele is for pain taylor (laughs) swift is for perspective (laughs) oh second I hope oh. I didn't offend any Adele fans with that line. I meant it with all respect. Adele oh, no. breakup music is great. Yeah. It's raw emotion. I feel like you're in the breakup with her. Mm-hmm. But Taylor mm-hmm. Swift, I feel like particularly her later music has this vibe. Like I am looking back well wisely on what this was in all mm-hmm. its complications, yeah. which mm-hmm. is Anne Elliot. Yeah. And it's been eight years. So yeah, it's not, it's not <laughs> fresh. So Vidya made her that playlist, and I loved Vidya. She is the costume designer for the festival that Anne is the executive director of. Do you have a favorite secondary character that you wrote for this book? Because I thought that they were all so interesting and charming in their own way. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, my favorite secondary character is Emmy, her assistant with the bloodlust. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think it comes through. And shoot the goose. <laughs> it comes through on the page how much you love Emmy. <laughs> She's a firecracker. I love it. <laughs> and I wanted a nice contrast for, for Anne, who's so diplomatic. Mm-hmm. Emmy is someone who has absolutely no filter on her mouth or emotions, which is mm-hmm. so much fun to write. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And of course, Anne's like an incredible, perfect mentor to her, mm-hmm. <laughs> like appreciates the things that make Emmy Emmy without like squashing them, but maybe just finessing them a little bit more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was going for. But secretly, Anne kind of enjoys Emmy's freedom to say what she likes mm-hmm. to, right? Like an alter ego. <laughs> yeah, there's a moment without spoiling that Anne is just thinking like, you know, I think that Emmy's probably loving this because uh, <laughs> like like Emmy says a line that's basically like I I'm just here because I want to see mess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not here for any reason. I just I just want to watch what's about to go down. Yeah, she's like I got yeah. a sense that some drama was happening, so I showed mm-hmm. up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what that's. It's a funny thing. So I, I unapologetically love drama and gossip. I don't love being in it. I love watching it. Mm-hmm. And I said that to one of my friends. I'm like, no, I she's like, we shouldn't gossip. I'm like, I love gossip. I mean, I don't want anyone to be genuinely hurt. Right? Like, I love stories of people behaving badly and mess. So mm-hmm. she's like, but is that nice? And I'm like, I'm a writer. They're all stories. They're all mm-hmm. characters. It's all good. Yeah. Like, just let me have it. So I made any unapologetic about that. If there's drama, she will show up and she yeah. will take pictures. <laughs> Emmy to me feels like the the Jane Austen stand-in character because I feel like Jane Jane would have been on messy TikTok. She would have been there for people's like, here's part forty-three of my mother-in-law drama or story time yeah. of when I dated this guy who turned out to be married. Like I think that she would have been all over that. 
<laughs> oh, I think you're entirely right. I have um, I have a book of Jane Austen's letters just to, you know, her sister and her correspondence. And Cassandra, her sister, apparently burned many of her letters, particularly I'm not the racy ones, but even the ones that were left behind. She is so biting and I love mm-hmm. it. Like, she sees all, she judges all. She's so witty. She's so brilliant. And I just, I just love, I'm like, yeah, she would be in on the gossip and she would have things to say about it and it would be hilarious. That sounds awesome. What is the book of letters called? I think it's just Jane Austen's letters. And I, I actually got it from the Niagara on the Lake old bookshop. And I just went in and said, oh, it's in another room where I showed you. Um, mm-hmm. It's a big old hardcover copy and it's got like a floral print and it's just a collection of her letters and writings that were left behind and the ones that weren't burned by her sister. And they're just, it's where you get a lot of like mm-hmm. the Austin quotes that people throw on the internet. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want people to be agreeable and save me the pleasure of having to like them and things like that. And, you know, she had one letter to a, a friend and when she was older and she was kind of confined to the house and she said, my mother and sister and I have all got new dresses and we've had to order them in three different shades of brown. So we have something to talk about. <laughs> she's just, she's so biting. It's great. She's just so um brutally honest all the time with such wit and charm you know that's some awesome. of you are brutally honest and you're like that's that's harsh when she asked me you know that's charming <laughs> so uh yeah you can take a look for that I'm sure there's other collections of her letters there's a number of biographies that I know that have I'm, excerpts that, but I'm going to just dro- hilarious drop in the chat the link for the one that I think you're talking about that is a long link this one is illustrated but it's a hardcover and it has a floral cover oh mine is not illustrated but that is kind of what it looks like so I'm wondering yeah. if I have an earlier copy because mine this is 2019 mine's from about 10 years ago or something this I'll email um, you a picture after this floral cover this is the wildflower Kilburn print that was on a selkie dress that I had oh yeah why my nice. eye immediately went to it <laughs> so Meg do you want to you had a couple more. You had the pro-con list. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Wentworth a little bit more. Sure. Um, but we can also talk about other heroes as well, if you mm-hmm. Austin's heroes as well, if you want to expand to that. Um, I guess I just want to talk about like what we love about Wentworth and what we love less <laughs> about Wentworth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love his his growth Mm -hmm. and I love that he came around on understanding that Anne made the right call back Mm -hmm. in the day do I love how cold he is Mm -hmm. um upon their reuniting I love that less (laughs) yeah love that less that's fair Wentworth is a tricky character because again Mm -hmm. you don't you don't actually get a lot of him in the book again because he doesn't say much directly to Anne he's talking to other people and Anne's left trying to interpret you know what digs are meant for her and stuff mm-hmm. and yeah first nice thing about all Austin heroes you've ever seen all of them they go away and they work on themselves and they come back better men and it's not that's nice. true <laughs> and they they <laughs> because they've gone away the, the heroines don't have to do all the emotional labor of like raising that's right they, they you know <laughs> like in Pride Press, Elizabeth does a little growing, Darcy does a little growing, and they come back together. And it doesn't end with Darcy goes to her. And that was that. And she mm-hmm. never got the second proposal. And she ended up living off the charity of Mr. Collins. And isn't that tragic? <laughs> <laughs> because that might be a realism version of the that goes. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, when it's tough, he's, 
he's cold, but we have to always remember it's extreme wounded pride. Mm-hmm. He was madly in love. He was engaged. Everything was, and then, you know, everything was going forward. And then she pulls the rug on him. And again, when you look back at hindsight, you're like, well, she was 19. Um, there were these doubts. He didn't have money to live on. Women's economic security depended on the husband back then. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you take it from, you know, sort of a poor boy who just thought she was the love of his life and then was to the curb for, in his mind, just not having money, mm-hmm. you know, these materialistic issues, then you can kind of see that his pride would take him to that level of coldness that he'd be so dismissive to her. And I think it's important that, and I so love you got that Easter egg of him helping her and, you know, moving that person in the council meeting. Mm-hmm. the way he takes the nephew off her back in uh, the original because he's so cold in all that he says but what he does is actually quite kind and caring like he's very mm-hmm. secretly even when he pretends he hates her he's secretly mm-hmm. supportive mm-hmm. Right? he tries to put her i think it's where he tries to put her in the carriage when she's too tired and for continuing the walk and no one else has noticed she's too tired no one else is helping her when that child is misbehaving and physically grappling with her there's many instances where she intervenes Mm-hmm. just to take care of her just a little bit right um and so you've kind of got this idea that he's at war with himself so mm-hmm. he's being cruel to Anne. he's being cruel to himself mm-hmm. he's trying not to fall back in love with Anne. and i think it's very telling that in eight years they've been separated he's not gotten married he's not gotten engaged but the minute he's back in Anne's presence oh i've got to suddenly throw all my attention at this other woman and make this mm-hmm. go right so it's this kind of idea of oh my gosh I, I can't go into this torture again I've got to find another woman to distract myself mm-hmm. um which shows how much still he's mad about Anne but his pride will not let him overcome it and I think it's very nice in, in the original book he he sort of doesn't need a culpa on that it's my mm-hmm. pride that kept us apart for another six years and we could have resolved this in two it's my pride that refused to let me understand that you had good reasons. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to face that she had good reasons for dumping him. Right. And I think you forgive him a lot of that coldness because he comes to those realizations. But we couldn't have this delicious, lovely book of longing if he came to those realizations in a timely manner. So mm-hmm. we'll forgive him that bad behavior. But he's also, you know, he's one of Austin's most dashing words too. Like he's young, he's a naval captain, he's old, he's, he's charming, he's handsome, he's all of that. When you compare it to someone like Mr. Knightley, who spends a lot of the book lecturing Emma, even though she deserves it. So <laughs> Mr. Darcy, who spends a lot of the book being quirk and rude. Um, <laughs> Austin doesn't have a lot of charming heroes who don't turn out to be the cat, right? Mm-hmm. You think yeah. about Willoughby or Wickham. The good guys are usually the more awkward guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got Mansfield Park, where he's Mr. Crawford almost becomes a good guy. Oh, but not quite. Felt in temptations, mm. right? Mm-hmm. So Wentworth is nice that he is a dashing, charming, talkative, interesting, good-looking guy. And he is, in fact, the good guy. He just needs to work on that person's mm-hmm. growth. And he comes mm-hmm. through in the end. Do you have... Okay, so I guess I'm making an assumption here. So is Wentworth your favorite Austin hero? Not white their persuasion is my favorite austin love story mm-hmm. um i have a soft spot for henry crawford in mansfield park because mm-hmm. he comes so close to redeeming himself and seeing the light it's really just kind of tragic that he, he fumbles at the the end zone there 
Yeah. Um, I, I don't know about football. So I don't know if that metaphor works, but you know, I'm just <laughs> I won't be the one to call you on that. Mm-mm. Okay. okay. It's all good. He, he fumbled at the finish line of the race there. I know that one works. Okay. Um, my favorite Austin hero probably shifts around a lot. I actually really like Henry Tone from Northanger Abbey because he is also someone who's actually very charming. Um, and that heroine is, is not, not anything particularly special. And you think Austin herself, so she's, she's almost pretty. She's almost pretty. She's almost, almost really just a nice girl. And he likes her just because she's a nice girl. And there's something nice about the simplicity of that. Mm. And he's quite playful with his language in the book. And I miss that in some of Austin's other heroes. Mr. Darcy is very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Knight is very serious. God knows Edward Ferris is very, very serious. <laughs> Brandon's a bit of a downer. <laughs> the good guys are often very serious, which is fine. Yeah. It's, an, it's an important quality. But Henry Tillman is playful and he is charming. And uh, they have some lovely banter, even though at the beginning of the book, it goes over the heroine's head. So he's mm-hmm. kind of he's kind of nice that way. Um, in the same way, Wentworth is kind of nice because he's dashing. But no, he's not my favorite hero, probably because he takes so long to see the light. But mm. again, we wouldn't have the book if we didn't do that. Right. It's all about the journey. It's all about the journey. It's all about the longing. <laughs> Liz, do you have a favorite hero? Well, I've only read Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion. Mm-hmm. I have not read Emma, and I need to because Clueless is one of my favorite movies. Mm, great adaptation oh i love it and i just you know i enjoy them for different reasons but i just love fitzwilliam darcy (laughs) (laughs) because he you know he has no reason to save her family he has no reason to fix a problem that he had nothing to do with um, but he feels very responsible because he feels like he should have been more overt about his warnings about Mr. Wickham and mm-hmm. let his pride get in the way. And he, yeah, I, I've seen a lot of memes recently that are about like, you know, Pride and Prejudice is the ultimate unrealistic fantasy of a woman telling a man, hey, you've got these things that are wrong with you and him thinking like, you know what, you've got a point and I'm going to go and work on myself. And then he comes back after having worked on himself. (laughs) That's how I know it's fiction. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I take your point. I I guess when I think about Darcy, well, how I think about Austin and Pride and Budgets was my first Austin, but really I think probably Mm -hmm. the most memorable Austin for everyone and not just the gateway. Yeah. Right. But it's it's the one to have I think because we all want to personally I secretly want to be Elizabeth Bennett. She's the most charming of heroines. Mm-hmm. Um, but my thing with Darcy is like she gives him a very concrete list. Like he's not mm-hmm. gonna be demonstrably more lively or suddenly grow a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. I think even at the end of the book when they're married, they say, Well, it's gonna be a while before he learns to to laugh at himself. Right? Elizabeth's gonna work on that. Mm-hmm. But what she gave him is a very concrete list. You robbed my sister of the love of life. You, you know, you were rude to these people. You did this and that, and then later, of course, you didn't want to spill with him. So he is gone. He, without essentially changing who he is, he kind of goes and executes that list. Mm. And I do think sometimes in the scene romances, if one, not just the guy, if either partner is very motivated, you know, uh, woman says you, you got to get a steady job and show that you're healthy material, blah blah. I think a lot of guys will will kind of go and work on those. Things. 
nice guys. Um, but not to say, well, okay, well, I'll get back on Tinder and the next one will be easier. Um, <laughs> which I think is perhaps the cynical modern interpretation of romance. But I always said what's what's nice about Austin is I feel like the people are very real and the lessons are very real. She kind of puts that lovely glamour on it that we enjoy the romanticism of it. So in real life, tall, awkward Darcy is probably the guy in your office who works in IT who doesn't make eye contact when he talks to you, mm-hmm. but is actually a really nice guy. And Elizabeth's gone for charming with them. He's probably the guy who works in sales, mm-hmm. um, you know, or is the crypto bro. <laughs> and he's charming and can chat with you and gets along with everybody yeah. and like oh this is a great guy no what this is is a smooth guy and mm-hmm. then really what Austin teaches us is we'll, we'll get to know Mr. IT there who's in the corner of the party and doesn't know what to say or or puts his foot in his mouth and he says the wrong thing and then the fantasy element is Mr. puts his foot in his mouth is Mr. Darcy who's also tall handsome incredibly incredibly rich <laughs> comes back after the first rejection. <laughs> so I feel like the lesson on psychology is there and in, in, in learning who these people are. But the, the the glamour is the balls and the gowns and that he also happens to rich. But I, I, I think there's some realism to the people. Um and what I love is you guys ever see the movie Austin Land? And it was a book first, but it was a book in the movie. No. You're gonna want to check that one out. Austin Land. It's great. It's a woman who goes to an Austin theme park. And they get to dress up as the characters. Oh my god! And there are actors to be their heroes. Carrie Russell was in it. It was a fabulous, funny movie, and there's so many Easter eggs. And the funny thing is, like, she kind of goes into it. I read all the books. I know to separate a Darcy from a Wickham, and mm-hmm. then she goes into this plot, and she falls for the Wickham. Like, you still <laughs> miss the mark, right? Because the Darcy guy is so off-putting, and then mm-hmm. she has to get to know him, and he's actually a lovely history professor, and off you go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, that was a very long ramble. Feel free to edit out any of this. Complete chatterbox. I no, talk Austin all day long, going. and no one will stop me. <laughs> <laughs> I just love to talk Austin. So that's how I feel it is. Yes, it's a fantasy that Darcy works on himself so efficiently and comes back for a second proposal. Mm-hmm. I think if you laid out crimes like that for the guy, and who's a logical good man, and he's you know. And Darcy's honest, he went away first just being upset and being done with her. And then mm-hmm. over time, it worked on him and went, right, no, I really did make these screw-ups. And then with true efficiency, he's like, all right, I'm going to go fix these screw-ups. And isn't that great? What's fantasy is that he has the courage to come back and even propose a second time. Mm-hmm. In modern times, she'd have to she'd have to go look him up on Instagram and have something like this But I love it. So I just, I I think the characters are so very, very real. And I think you can probably look around, you know, modern world and say, yep, that's a Marianne Dashwood. Yep, that's an Emma. Yep, that's Captain Wentworth. (laughs) Are you working on any more adaptations? I am working on an original plot right now, um, which is very scary because I have to make the characters up myself and Mm -hmm. the plot points up myself. Um, but that's the third novel. I would very much like to do more adaptations. Mm-hmm. I have started working on another one in the background, which I think is going to be very unpopular because it's Mansfield Park and nobody likes Mansfield. <laughs> Mansfield Park? Mansfield Park. Yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah. read it because, like I said, I've only read Pride and Prejudice and Persuasion, but I was just reading the description while we were talking. Um, is it because he's her cousin that people don't like it? Or is there another reason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the cousin thing is weird. And and there's there's a cousin 
romance and persuasion too when Mr. Elliot comes around like no 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 yeah. we're not doing that in the modern mm -hmm. education um I think people don't like it because of all the heroines you know heroines and Austin are all very different but Fanny Price the heroine of Manchester Park is probably the most downtrodden meek I'm so sorry for breathing I'm so sorry for being in your eyesight <laughs> I'm so sorry for existing and just she just pines and she's sad and she's she's very physically frail. She's always being sick. She always has headaches. And I think a lot of people prefer the vim and vigor of an Elizabeth or even the bratty take charge of an Emma. Even in persuasion, you know, Anne's very wallpaper and downtrodden, but she's wise and knowing, whereas mm -hmm. in Minister Park, Fanny always kind of feels she deserves it. And I think everyone gets very tired of her low self-esteem. <laughs> um, but it's kind of one of those and, and the hero she's in love with is he's just so holier than hell. Like mm -hmm. he's, he's not a great hero. He's great for her. Elizabeth Bennett would make mincing out of him, but he's great for Fanny Price. Mm -hmm. But I think in the same way people overlook like Anne Elliott's secret competence in persuasion, mm -hmm. people tend to overlook a man's part. But Fanny Price is right in the end. She makes judgments on people and she's too frightened to say anything. But she's right. She's proved right at the end. And there's, if you haven't read it, I won't spoil it, but there's kind of a scheme where everyone's being pressured to participate in a certain activity that would not have been appropriate for young people at that time. And one by one, they all fall to the pressure of it because they've got a crush on that person or it'll play up to their advantage. There's a reason they all kind of go down like bowling pins for mm -hmm. this enticement. And Fanny's the only one who holds out. And everyone bullies her because of it. They're just absolutely awful. And Fanny, who's the ultimate doormat, holds out and is proven right in the end. And so I feel like she's not, I really feel like she's not given her due. And I feel like in a modern adaptation, someone could say to her, you know, you can stand up for yourself. And then the book might go a little differently. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it's very rich characters and a great, great character of, wow, I'm going to blank on his name even though I just said it, but few minutes ago on this podcast i'm sorry i'm naming characters right now so i'm using mm -hmm. real characters um the fellow mr crawford that's it henry mm -hmm. crawford who's kind of like a willoughby in that he just likes playing with women but then he genuinely falls in love yeah. and then he almost redeems himself but not quite mm -hmm. and there's even a passage where austin said if you know if he had held out he might have been rewarded with Fanny's love after Fanny gave up on the one she was really in love with. Mm -hmm. had, there's a whole alternate ending there that I would love to explore mm -hmm. if Henry Crawford had stayed on his path of redemption. Because mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they read things like Sense and Sensibility, like, well, Willoughby was kind of more exciting than Colonel Brandon. Colonel Brandon's the better man. And you always have this trope of, ooh, redeem the rape. And mm -hmm. Austin's realistic in that. She never quite does, but she came so close to Mansfield Park. So I would... <laughs> <laughs> I think that that's really cool to adapt the one that you think doesn't really hit with readers as much because it you know I love Pride and Prejudice adaptations as much as the next person but it's been done a lot so mm -hmm. it, it I think that it's refreshing to look at one of her less appreciated works <laughs> Well, I'd, I'd like people to give me a chance. And they did an adaptation of Man... They did two adaptations of Mansfield Park in film, actually. Mm -hmm. was, um, there was a UK television version that veered wildly off the plot, if I remember correctly. And then there was a late 90s version with Johnny yeah. Lee Miller and some other big stars. 
1999. Um, it was That's Patricia Razama. I actually got to yes. do like a little chat with her um, last year about oh, nice. this movie. <clears throat> and I have not read the book. I've only <laughs> seen the movie. But I, what I really loved about that film adaptation was how she brought in um, more, even more like global context Themes. of the yeah. time, which very, I feel like very important historical yeah. piece there with right. uh, the with plantations and stuff. Um, and I love that adaptation. It was very faithful to the book, but I feel what she did to make it palatable. And if you ever meet her again, you can ask her this question on my behalf because I'm dying to know if it was like a conscious choice. I feel like she airlifted the character of Fanny out and put Jane Austen in its place mm. because she made the heroine a writer and a couple of the lines she had Fanny say are actually lines from Jane Austen's personal documents in her private mm. letters so and in the same way we looked at the like the 2022 Netflix and we're like gosh they took the character of Anne and they put the character of Fleabag in instead mm -hmm. and it didn't work but I feel in the Mansfield Park adaptation she took the character of Fanny out which is the thing that annoys everybody and she put the character of Jane Austen in, who was a fabulous character in her own right. And mm -hmm. it really worked well. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel that that was part of making the whole thing more palatable to people, is that you don't have doormat family there apologizing for breathing all the time. <laughs> yeah, we have a Fanny that's more of a character that is like seeing, noticing, not missing anything. Yeah, she's out on the horseback and she's bold with people and, and mm -hmm. you know, she wants her freedom and stuff, which the original Fanny is really just like, please don't look at <laughs> do not perceive me please <laughs> please please let me hide in a corner forever <laughs> it's her can, goal in life can you tell us what trope your non-adapted story that you're working on is what tropes are present there um if you're not allowed yeah. to talk about it that's okay it's not that I'm not, not allowed to talk about it it's that um my editor hasn't She's approved the general concept, but she hasn't mm. signed off on the outline yet, mm. which I'm hoping to present to her along with the first handful of chapters in the next week or so. Um, but what I'm looking at is a little bit of magical realism. Oh, that's um, my favorite. Going favorite. <laughs> I love magical realism as a kid growing up. So I'm like, yes, let's bring in some of that. And going, you know, before I kept my books very much centered to one Canadian location, so going a little more international with the location. Mm -hmm. um, having, of course, a romance, but perhaps going a little bit more broad towards women's fiction. I know women's fiction and romance get very much blurred. Um, so kind of playing around in the boundaries between those. Mm -hmm. And basically, I want, I want an international rob. I've got, it's starting in Ottawa, in Canada, which is a place I lived for about 18 months. And then shoots to Toronto and then off to Edinburgh and then off and then off you know, and then off we go. Um, so I really kind of want to make it a little more action-y adventure. I love writing, you know, it's probably sound with double abuse. I love writing some mm -hmm. of the broad physical comedy. So I'd love to try some some physical action um, and just kind of having fun with it. I think for a new novelist, because my Jane Eyre one was my debut, it was really lovely to have a blueprint and make me feel secure. I knew where the novel was going. So just kind of going a little more wild with this one and seeing what turns out. If it doesn't work out, you'll never hear it again. But hopefully you will hear of my manuscript park adaptation. I would love to do. Well, I hope to hear about all of it. And I have to go back and read Jane and Edward because I love Jane Eyre. <laughs> Isn't it grand? Favorite it's Jane Eyre so adaptation. Grand. What's your favorite Jane Eyre adaptation? Um, the one with 
Ruth, what's her face? I think Ruth it was Bolton. a, yes. Yes, that is that the correct one. answer. No, I'm joking. <laughs> there was no correct answer. Yeah, no, that, that, it, no, it is. It's, um, and I also loved the book. And I think that I watched, I, I can't remember if it was a movie or a miniseries adaptation of Wide Sargasso Sea. And it's just like every character is so fascinating. There's like been so much that's come mm-hmm. since then. Like Rebecca, like she did like a very interesting, like the way that you're blurring the lines with romance and women's fiction. I feel like it was um, gothic. I, I know we're not talking about Jane Austen anymore, but it's like, it, it walked that line where it was a love story, but also sinister. Yes. Love wide sarcastic. See, I don't think I've seen that question, but I will, I will look up. Um, speaking about adaptations, if you were disappointed with the Netflix one, which again, I think I had some good elements, but kind of missed the point. The 2007 ITV persuasion. There's an excellent 1995 persuasion, but there's a really, and I just had this argument with someone, not argument, this discussion with someone on Goodreads who, who looked at my book and said, you know, you put in the reader's letter, you love the 2007 version, but the 95 version, Amanda Root, like, yes, it is excellent. It has excellent things. <laughs> but the 2007 version, it's a very dreamy Wentworth, a very haunting soundtrack, a wonderful, wonderful emotive Anne, Sally Hawkins, who was in The Shape of Water. And she's mm. like, this is one of her younger roles. She's fantastic with Anne. And bonus Austin content, there was two endings to Persuasion. One that Jane Austen discarded in favor of the letter one that we got. And in the 2007 Jane Austen adaptation of Persuasion, they include both endings. So they kind of do the beginning of one ending, and then you get a little bit of that scene, and then they abandon it, and then they go to the letter ending. It's mm-hmm. like, bonus Austen. <laughs> I was watching <laughs> so a video that was comparing those two versions. So I was definitely yeah. leading like to when I do watch an adaptation, it's going to be that later one. Hmm. Oh yeah. In enjoy. Enjoy the tall dreamy one. It was very nice of that. <laughs> well, I have to say, Henry Golden in sorry, Henry Golden in Netflix one. You're fantastic job. That was Mr. Yeah, Albert. that's true. Yeah. So did yeah. Henry Golden play Wentworth in oh no. He, he played, played the dastardly Mr. Elliot. Okay. He okay. Was charm personified. Uh he is very, very cute. <laughs> kind of a reason to watch it. I I thought Wentworth was really well cast in in the Netflix one Cosmo Jarvis who I hadn't seen in anything else before but so cute very cute and you know there was supposed to be another one the um I forget her name the with the actress, actress from, from Succession, Succession. Mm-hmm. she oh. was supposed to have one and I was so looking forward to it and then they canceled it I guess because they didn't want to compete with Netflix but missed opportunity because Netflix got roasted for that. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I and that's kind of ridiculous because if you look in the last few decades, there's a trend of like two very similar movies coming out around the same time. Like there was um no strings attached and friends with benefits and it was yeah, basically the yeah, same movie. Right. Um so they could have pulled it off. I think so. I think they could have done it. All right, Melody, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your book with us and talking all things Austin. Where can people find you and keep up with what you're working on? Oh, well, thank you so much both for having me on and letting me ramble about Jane Austen for now because that's just a a treat for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I am on Instagram. I am on Twitter. 
I'm struggling to remember I have my handles at this moment in time. But I am That's on Instagram. okay. Melody, I think, underscore Edwards. Pretty easy to find. Um, and uh, yeah, come and say hello. I love it when people send me messages on Instagram. It's I didn't really have social media before I started writing, so I'm having fun with that. Um, and the book is out February 27th in all stores. And I hope people enjoy it. It's a bright orange cover. Can't miss it. Mm -hmm. We are very excited for other people to get to experience it. And we'll include your socials in the show notes and, and our socials because we never say them anymore because we can't remember them on the spot either. So <laughs> thank you so That's much. True. And thank you for listening. Until next time, air kisses.